Good morning. Welcome. It's good to be back home where it's warm. Uh, thank you for letting us uh, be able to go and um, be part of walking in uh, like you're doing now. Um, for me, I, I'm on this side of this event, and, uh, and, and it is good for me to be able to go and be on that side. Um, it's imperative. Um, and, and Brad used my, one of my favorite words ever in the history of words, meta-narrative. <laughs> uh, because that's what happens when, when you walk in here. You, you walk into, I mean, you're, you're, you are in it there. But when you walk into the gathered people of God where, where the scriptures are open and taught, you walk into a really dense atmosphere of the meta-narrative of the grand story of redemptive history. And there's life there. There's life there. Um, and and man, two introductory matters I want to hit that, that revolve all around that. Um, you need that. I, let me take it a step further. You must have that. Your, my spiritual vitality is intimately connected to walking into that cloud, that ethos of coming into the gathered people of God where the scriptures are expounded, there is grace to be had in that. And if you are, if you intentionally do not engage that, you, you have no fuel in your tank. You have, you have nothing with which to fight well with. It, it's almost counterintuitive, you know? I mean, because, because you wake up on... And, and, dude, I'm not making the argument for a legalistic, you know, I go to church because I have to. I'm, I'm talking about when a transformed heart, the new covenant work happens and the heart of stone is removed and the heart of flesh is put in. That heart needs and desires to be with the people of God and to hear the Scriptures opened. And it, it has to have it for, for life. And so it's counterintuitive because sometimes our body says it's tired and I'm, I would be better suited to rest this morning. That's not true. It's not true. Not at all. What your body needs is, is for your spirit to be fed. There's juice in that. There's, there's life in that. And if you, if you on purpose remove yourself from this, you... That's like, I'm going to drive my car until I stop on Highway 53 and sputter to a halt and with no gas on purpose because that's better. I can't wait to sit on the side of the road and can't move. What a joy. Ah, that, that's what you're doing to yourself. And you wonder why we lose our minds and we burn out. It's because our tanks empty. And I don't mean physically. I mean, why can Paul give his, give his life in prison, shipwrecked? We would call that burnout. And Paul says, what a joy. This is amazing. This is cool. We look at him and go, well, I can't be like that. And I go, yes, you can. You have the same spirit dwelling in you. The problem is so often we, we segregate ourselves from the ethos we don't walk into the cloud. We don't get fed. And I just want to tell you as one who, I don't get to sit on that side. Okay? For me, to be able to walk in and hear, hear Puritans, and I love Puritans, talk about prayer from the Scriptures, it's life to me. And so I want to say to you, 
don't miss this. And, and, and I'm irrelevant to the equation, just so you know. So you know. It, it, it can be some other fat, bald guy or a hairy, skinny guy. As long as the Scriptures are opened and expounded. And we take the elements and we come and we hear gospel. There's life and vitality. Does that make sense? I mean, I know if you're not into meta-narrative, if you're an atheist pragmatist and you live life pragmatically only, you're, you're like this, or it's bouncing off. You're like, this guy's lost his mind. But some of you, you know what it is to walk in the cloud and, and, and get it. Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. And I say that. Because your life is at stake. The second introductory matter is, is not only is there life here, there's, there's, there's preparedness. There's preparedness. I'm really, I'm really going, I'm targeted here, okay? I'm going somewhere. Last week, some of you guys, and this is so fresh for me to be able to taste this. You know, being on the side of preparing the event for Vody to come in and listen, um, it's good to hear what happened there. Because just so you know, that little talk he did Saturday morning was not planned. That was an audible. He's calling it up tonight. So you're going to see the audibles. He, called, he, he audibled. Friday night he said, dude, I feel, I believe, I'm, I need to go this direction. I'll finish up here, but I've got to go here. I said, dude, you're the man. You do whatever you have to do. And you know what's crazy? The stories on Sunday morning of what slapped some of you guys in the face that you were going to face Monday morning. And on Wednesday when the article hit the AJC for some of you people, you really were prepared. Just so you know, that was not planned. You say, how could that have happened? God. And if, and his, this isn't a lesson on providence, but God's, weaving together us and him and working toward his ends, he put some of you in that room to hear that, moved a man to change his direction so you could hear what he knew was happening on Wednesday and Monday. That's cool. And if you ever wondered, is this real? There you go. I'm, I'm, a, I'm jacked and I'm excited because here's, here's the thing. If you miss this, you miss life. And you may miss preparedness. Preparedness. Because often what happens in these moments is God uses donkeys to speak preparation to his beloved people. Why does that matter today? Why does that matter today? Well, here's how that matters today is because we we come to the church at, at Smyrna as we're studying through this glorious book that reveals Jesus as who he is, the king. Not the crucified, weak, peasant carpenter who's into social justice, but the ruler of the universe. Master, creator, king Jesus, sitting on the right horse, ruling the nations, coming with a sword, conquering his enemies, king of kings, lord of lords. As we see him and worship him as he is. There's instruction to his people. There's preparedness for his people. And this morning, I think, I know, the preparedness for us, maybe, for some of you in this room, is suffering. 
See, this is, this is a topic that scripturally is vital. But practically, we, we don't have much use for it, particularly living where we live. Because you see, it, when you go to Disneyland, they don't hand out flyers on how to handle disappointment. Right? They just offer you quickie passes to get to the front of the line and, and all kinds of joyous, glorious treats to, to just imbibe all of your senses. Nobody talks about suffering in Disneyland because it's Disneyland. And, and so it's, it's strange to our ears when we live in Disneyland to come and talk about, about suffering. And the reason it's strange is because of where we live but and how we get to function here in this country, this grace of God given to us to live here. So, so what often gets done is there is a there's a false gospel of, of victory without a war. But what I want you to, what I want you to see here is that, is that you bet there is a win involved for the people of God. But the win is a win that comes out of, comes through suffering. I mean, we can't follow the one who went to the cross without a cross. He said, if you'll come after me, take up the cross, take up the cross and come after me. And often what happens is, is we hear the Disneyland message and when suffering hits, we're th- what happened? I thought I was supposed to be rescued from that. <laughs> I'm not supposed to hurt. There's no victory in hurting. And, and we act as though some strange thing has happened to us. And the end result is the false gospel believed ends up being a false gospel jettisoned and another atheist is made. I don't want us to be unprepared when the casualties of war hit. Because you see, this is war. I mean, the advancement of the kingdom of God globally is, is, is spiritual and even physical conflict. The gospel does not go to UPGs without conflict and suffering. I would argue that the gospel doesn't go into the reaches of our county without suffering and conflict. Show me a church that doesn't suffer and I'll show you a church that does nothing. Jesus is the conquering, resurrected king because he went to the cross, then he rose. Perhaps our victory, our win will not come unless we have been crushed under the load of the cross to be raised to life by the king. I want, to, I want to put this caveat here before we launch into these points. When I say suffering, I don't mean um, retribution for stupid behavior. Okay? Does that make sense? I, I don't mean 
difficulty brought upon because you're stupid. Does that make sense? Um, if I do something stupid and I get the results of that, I can't come and say, I'm suffering for Jesus. No. You're suffering as a fool. When I would not necessarily call that suffering, I would call that justice. This is why Peter says, when you suffer for doing good, know this. So I mean, I mean legitimate gospel advancing, gospel doing difficulty coming upon gospel doing people because of the good they do. That, that's what I mean. So that when you're doing the work of the advancement of the kingdom, let's not be unprepared and not expect that there will be some slaps in the face, some, some legs knocked out from under us, some, some breath knocked out of us at times. Because I would not only say, let's, let's not get surprised, let's expect it. Let's brace for it. Let's be prepared for it. When we come to this church here, Smyrna of the second of the seven addressed, is, it's one of two in which Jesus doesn't have anything negative to critique them for. And so, when we, we come here to this text, we don't forget what we learned last week. Remember? Who's present? Jesus. He's walking among His churches. He's present today. This, this is why the vitality piece is so big. The King is here now. We're not, we're not atheists. We're not pragmatists. The King is present. Your spiritual vitality isn't because of the list of things you check off and do. It's because you've come into the presence of the King who made you. And He fills your tank. And so He's here. And I, I believe this morning for some of us we need this because we already we know what this is like. And for some of you, you're heading into it. And you, and you don't need to be taken off guard. King's here. King's ministering to your heart now. And He's preparing you because He loves you. You're His kid. He's put His grace on you. He's put His righteousness, imputed the righteousness of Christ to you through the cross. He's taken your sin. And you as His child, He wants you to be equipped. So having said that, I'm not talking to you as one that is scarless. But I know suffering. I get suffering. I have tasted it from an early age in various stages through here. Some of you know my story. I'm not going to repeat that now. But I get suffering. And I want you to know that it is not without good cause. It is good. It's good. Can I pray? Jesus, um... Your people, these are, these are not my people, these are not our people, these are your people. And I'm, I want to be right by them. Because they're, they're yours, they're not mine, they're, they're yours. And so I'm really concerned that you would uh, prepare and love on your people and move them to worship you. Would you please do that right now? I need your help desperately. We need your help desperately. So Spirit, would you guide us into truth? And uh, that Jesus is shown, your Father is glorified. Amen. Okay, I want to launch into point number one. Here we go. Number one, Jesus is the one who suffered and conquered. This passage begins by reminding us who has suffered 
and who has conquered. First, first. And to the angel of the church at Smyrna write the words of the first and the last. Remember what he said in chapter 1, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In other words, I'm everything. I'm it. I'm the end all, the be all. I'm the beginning, the middle, and the end. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. He's the beginning. He's the means. And he is the end. He's everything. The words of the first and the last. Who died and came to life. He starts off by reminding us of this. That I have died first. I have suffered first. I have tasted difficulty first. And so when we come to suffering, let's not forget we're not alone. And I don't mean we got our brothers with us. We do, but primarily we have a king walking among us who has died in your place for your sins. And he's present right now. So whatever you walk into, maybe are already in or maybe coming out of, you have not gone at it alone. But the king of the universe has walked with you. He will be with you. He has died, and not only has He died, He is the one who came to life. He has been resurrected, He's been raised, and He has defeated death. He's defeated the second death. He's defeated sin. He has ruled well over those, and He is the one walking with you. So know this, first Jesus has suffered, and He has conquered, and He will be with His suffering people. Okay? Point number two. Jesus knows his church's suffering and its source. Listen to verse 9. He doesn't wait to get this out. I know your tribulation and your poverty. I know, he says, I, I know the one who's the first and the last knows. He knows all things. There's nothing that escapes his attention. You are on his radar. The evil one would have you think, God... Where are you? Are you aware I'm here? Right? Anybody feel that sometimes? He knows. Let, let the thought of the evil one, let those thoughts of, of conflict, those mortar rounds landing in your mind and heart be wiped away. He knows. Not only does he know, he is in charge. He knows, I know your tribulation and your poverty. But you are rich. You are rich. I know your poverty, but you are rich. What's interesting, oftentimes for us, is we're in the middle of difficulty. What's the fault sometimes? I'm so without. Here's what I don't have. And how does, he, how does he address them? I know your poverty. Is he admitting they're poor? No. He's acknowledging their thought. I know your poverty. I know what you're thinking. But then this little parenthesis with, with a little conjunction stuck in there. Conjunctions are beautiful. But, and it's a contrasting statement, but you're rich. You, you think you don't have, but you have everything. Because you got me. I, I made it all, and you've, you've got me. 
hear that. If you're in this or going into it or think you may be going into it or coming out of it, you've not been alone and you have everything you need. He's withheld nothing from you. If you have no dollars and you have Jesus, you have everything. You're not without. That's why this meta-narrative is so vital. If all we do is breathe the air of the created order, that's only half the story. That's why the scriptures are always screaming from the perspective of God, reality from God's perspective, truth. You've got it all. Don't buy the lie. Understand, there is nothing we don't have to do the mission. This explains, you hear me say this a lot, this explains church planting movements and movements of the gospel in third world countries at the hands of people who have nothing. And we get shocked. And we're like, how do they do it? He said, you're rich. We have billions. We do nothing with it. Jesus says, you think, yeah, no, I, he's acknowledging, yes, I hear, but you're rich. He knows. He is not unaware. And he has never failed to supply. Never. If you see a failure to supply or perceive a failure to supply, it may be you need to move forward. And I don't mean into pursuing your greatest career desires apart from those desires implanted by the resurrected Christ toward His mission. God made you to be involved with the global work of the gospel in whatever capacity that looks like, running your business, whatever it is you do. Some of you professionally on the field, some of you bivocationally, some of you just being a faithful worker who gives to the cause. But He made you to be involved and, and, and if you are moving into that, you won't lack what's necessary to go into the mission. Ever. Ever. He knows and he says, you're rich. You're rich. He knows his church is suffering and he knows, notice this, he knows the source of the suffering. He says, I know the, your tribulation, your poverty, but, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That was mean. I, we would hear that if, if, if I just said that without you reading that, you think, oh, oh, how mean, how crude. What's happening here, particularly at Smyrna, this is a modern day city, Ismir, today. It's a modern day, where this church was written to is a modern day city, still functioning city, Ismir, okay? This was a, a very wealthy location. What you have is you have a, a Christian church present that's being persecuted, particularly persecuted by the Jewish population because of this statement that Jesus, this Jewish crucified, resurrected man is the Messiah and they wanted to stamp this out. And they're persecuted by the Jews in this city. And what did Jesus say? They Say they are Jews and are not. This is beautiful truth Paul talked about when he says, one is not merely a Jew if they are a Jew outwardly, but inwardly. If circumcision isn't outside, but it's inside and it's of the heart. They are 
physically descended from Abraham, but they are a synagogue of, this little of relationship, synagogue of Satan. It's a genitive of acquisition. I'm sorry, had to be nerdy for a second. But it's this of relationship that these two nouns define each other, synagogue of Satan. In other words, these two nouns are definitive. The the synagogue is Satan's domain, and, and Satan's domain is the synagogue. What Jesus is doing is saying, really, all that is is a bastion of Satan's work. They're, they're purporting to be my people, but in actuality, they're Satan's people. And be very careful. Any work that seeks to stop the advancement of the cause, regardless of the title on them as an individual or them as an organization, it is the domain, the ruled place of the evil one. You cannot be contrary to the mission and be on the team. Jesus says the source of your persecution, the source of your difficulty is Satan. These persecutors are driven by the evil one. It is the evil one's intent to stop the advance of the gospel. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, We are not unaware of his schemes. I have no doubt that plenty having enough in Disneyland is a well-disguised scheme of the evil one. To make us happy and at rest. And comfortable because I get much resource. I like the way the guy talks. He's entertaining. And I like the, I like, I like the resources. I get more stuff. I got a place for my kids to go. I got a, it's, it's a great it's Walmart on steroids. It's wonderful. And I get to go and just eat and consume. It's, it's wonderful. This is great. It's good. My question is where's the mission? Where's the cause of the kingdom? I'm not saying those things aren't. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying when they're present without the advance of the gospel, then the question's got to become, is that really? Really? Any source that seeks to stop the advance of the gospel, it's a move of the evil one. We have a mission. I never want you to forget this about this body. We have a very distinct and clear mission. The advance of the gospel Build the church for the glory of God among all the peoples. For the glory of God, we say, we will build the church, both local and global, by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. Our mission is the advance of the gospel here and there at the same time. And anything that stands in the way of the advance of the gospel, whatever it is, its source and origin is the evil one. And often his schemes are varied. Third, Suffering awaits the church on mission. Suffering awaits the church on mission. Notice verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Notice Jesus doesn't say you may suffer. He says do not fear what you are about to suffer. Can I just back off here in just a second and let those words resonate with you? Don't fear what some of you maybe are about to suffer. Behold, look. Behold's a good Bible word. Look. I like to say look because I feel weird. I almost feel like in my mind I'm saying it with a British accent, but I'm not. 
to look, behold. Just take a look. What's, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. Suffering awaits the church on mission. Suffering can be at the hands of non-Christians. Suffering can come at the hands of Christians who don't understand. Suffering can come at the hands of false teachers. False teachers are really good about guilt trips. You know? That's, you know that's not what we are about. Suffering can take the form of death. Suffering can take the form of hostility. Suffering can even take the form of marginalization. Some of you know exactly what that's like. You've stood on the truth of the gospel in this town and there have been religious people who call themselves church have set you to the side and said irrelevant. I would say Satan. We've got some subpoints here, and this may be as far as we get. Um, I've given you oodles. I've given you oodles and oodles of text here that I hope you'll go home and read. On this little subpoint A, suffering is not meaningless, but it's an imitation of Jesus that produces eternal rewards. Suffering is not meaningless. There is an end and a point to suffering. And I sovereignly, would you allow me to say sovereignly directed by our good God for His glory and our good? Suffering is not meaningless. I highlighted, I italicized the 2 Corinthians 4 passage. And I just want to read it for you. It's number 6, I think, there on your little study guide. Second Corinthians four seven to eighteen. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed; perplexed, but not driven to despair; persecuted, but not forsaken; struck down, but not destroyed. You feel? You feel this? You hear what he's saying? We're hit. We're, we're waxed at every point. But none of it has the intended effect. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that amazing? Paul's not saying, you're never going to have hardship. He's saying, we're getting pounded. But it's not working. If you allow me to translate. Listen, always carrying in the body... This thing, and perhaps even the the local congregation, the body, the death of Jesus. Any any congregation teacher who says that death isn't part of the process lied to you. You you can't take scripture like this and deny the fact that we are to carry around the death of the King with us. Suffering people. In their suffering are proclaiming the cross in their suffering. The cross makes no sense unless perhaps it's seen through the suffering of the people who bear the cross. So so you can't preach a victory without a cross. Always carrying 
in the body the death of Jesus so that the listen so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies dead people brought to life and this is the argument Paul's making in 2 Corinthians 1 he says God has placed on us more than we can handle people often take 1 Corinthians 10:13 and they misuse it and say God won't put anything on you more than you can bear which is not what it says it says God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear which is different Second Corinthians 1 says he will crush you beyond what you can bear so that when he raises you up, it's evident it's him and not you. So don't buy the mis- misquotation of the text. Okay? That's one of the questions I get all the time. It always says God won't put on you more than you can bear. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It says he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Temptation and suffering are categorically different. Second Corinthians 1 is clear. Paul says, we were carrying around this death in our bodies. We were crushed beyond our ability to bear up under it. End quote. So that it may be seen that he raises the dead. So he says, we're always carrying around the death of Jesus. So that this life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. The gospel may never make sense to people until they see suffering. Because we're not preaching heaven. Heaven is not the gospel. It's, 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 it's a byproduct down here somewhere. The eternal kingdom is jacked. It's good. We're going to get there in about 500 weeks at my pace. We're going to get there. And it's good. But we're not selling heaven. Heaven without the king is hell. We hold forth the crucified, risen, reigning king with many crowns who's conquering his enemies. That's who we're holding out. That's who we have to offer. So we're caring about the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always, listen, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So you mean my suffering is for Jesus? Yes. There is no suffering for doing good that isn't for the king. I would say it's a grand act of worship. To suffer for the king. Because I'm caring about the death of Christ. The life of Christ being manifest. For we who are who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that the grace, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The end result of their suffering was that there will be people see their suffering, give thanks to God for the gospel. So we do not lose heart. These little so purpose cause. Beautiful. I love purpose causes. Because they define purpose. I tell my kids they do grammar. It's called Shirley. And they hate Shirley. And I love Shirley. 
I love you, Shirley. Oh, yes, I do. I love you, Shirley. I love Shirley because it teaches kids how to read grammar and doctrine and truth is held in grammatical constructions. When you read your Bibles, don't just pass over it. Read carefully. Purpose clauses are grand. It tells you the purpose for which he just wrote. Listen, so we don't lose heart. So that you don't lose heart when suffering comes. So that you're not crushed in despair. He's working it for your good in the advancement of his purposes. I don't know about you, but there's life in that. There's life in that. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen to this. Listen, this is crazy. This guy's sick. For this light, momentary affliction. I've been shipwrecked, beaten multiple times, imprisoned. He says, this light, momentary affliction. This guy is you hear that? Does that not resonate with you? I don't know why I'm sweating. It's like 12 degrees outside. I'm sorry. I don't want to be that guy, the sweating, screaming preacher guy. But I guess I am. My worst nightmare. It's light. It's just light. Momentary affliction. But what's it producing? Do I know what this means? Do I get, I don't, I don't, what I'm about to read you, I don't know everything it means. C.S. Lewis wrote a book on it called The Weight of Glory. Go read it. It'd probably worth your time. So am I going to be able to give you full exposition of what he means here? No. Some point, maybe. This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal, forever, weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. As we look not, this is a meta narrative. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. I'm going to stop here because I'm just. We need to stop because what I've got next will take forever. We'll do it next week. What you need to do is, in, in, when suffering comes and difficulty comes, or if you've come out of it and you're wondering why, don't don't let these trick you. Don't let these trick you. Okay. Don't let these trick you, okay? Look to beyond what this momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory so that what, what is seen is not what we make our decisions on, but it becomes the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Suffering does marvelous things. But just to draw it to a close for this morning, suffering is purposeful. It is not purposeless. So whatever you have suffered, whether it's marginalization, difficulty, uh, whatever it happens to be for doing good, it is not without good. And I want to say to you, that is worth getting our praise on for. Father, I've got to stop right here because it's just too much more. That'd be too weighty for right now. And it's just, it's, I believe you're saying stop. And so we're going to stop and try to obey you right now and just try to respond to you. So, Lord, I just.
please, right now in this moment, right now in this moment, would you draw your people up to you in this ethos, this cloud, this this moment where we can just corporately together taste life. And I want to ask that right now you would guide your people into truth by the Spirit, that you would uncover for some the Son of God that the veil would be lifted, that they would see Jesus clearly. I ask that you would encourage the hearts of some. I ask that you would prepare with a godly preparedness and sobriety for perhaps what they see on the horizon. But in all things, that your people are prepared and encouraged, Jesus, and you are exalted and worshipped and adored. So, Lord, that's my request of you right now for your people.